Good morning, everybody. How are you anyway? Good looking crowd. Uh, I, I hung out on the porch a little longer than usual, uh, and even through, even through the distance and the walls and those big wooden doors, it's just a joy to hear you singing. I was reminded this week, I've, I've been studying some things and, and working in the hopes of, of improving, and I was reminded this week of my favorite book dedication. It's found in a, it's found in a, in a preaching book called Biblical Preaching, and the author, Haddon Robinson, said in the dedication, to the men and women who keep a sacred appointment on Sunday morning, bewildered by seductive voices, nursing wounds life has inflicted upon them, anxious about matters that do not matter, yet they come to listen for a clear word from God that speaks to their condition. I love that dedication because that's, that's about you. It's about me too. Life's hard, have you noticed? You noticed? You seem unconvinced. I know a lot of your stories. I know that for some of you this is a difficult season. What we need, and the reason you've kept the sacred appointment, is, as Robinson says, is to hear a clear word from God. That's all I ever want from my role in the service at this time in the service. That you would he leave the gathering of God's people who, I mean, it's kind of a big deal. Jesus thought it was a big deal. He loved the church so much he gave his life for it. And he's working to cleanse it and purify it. And he's coming back for it. It's going to be his bride. And it, it matters. And in the middle of all that, God has asked some of the people in the family to open up his word and to give a clear word from him. I can't even begin to tell you how awesome of a privilege and how sobering of a responsibility that is. We have to hear a clear word from God. Robinson's right. There are seductive voices. We are concerned. We are worried about matters that don't matter. Have you ever come to that realization? Spend so much time worrying and stressing, and in my case, sometimes shouting about things that don't matter all that much. We need to hear from God. That's why we're here. That's exactly, when we drop into the Bible story, that's exactly what the people wanted in Nehemiah chapter 8. You may not have realized it's gone faster than I expected. We have come to the conclusion of the Old Testament. 21 weeks ago, we began a chronological journey through the Bible. Now we're standing on the threshold of the New Testament. Amazing things have happened. God has reached down into human history, created mankind to love Him and to enjoy Him. We very quickly fled from Him in defiance and rebellion. He pursued us and He reached down again into human history and said to one undeserving man, I'm going to make you a great nation and from that nation I am going to provide a Savior to bless all mankind. And Israel was born. And Israel, through God's providence, was kept safe in very difficult conditions. 
And when they were enslaved in Egypt, God led them out through the defining moment in their history. It's called the Exodus, and there's an entire book in the Bible that's all about it. They grumbled and griped. Do you remember the grumbling and the griping? And God said, you've grumbled and griped for so long, you have been so unfaithful and so unbelieving and looking into the land that I promised to you and believing you could not possess it, that this whole generation has to die and I'll start afresh with the new generation. That led to conversations like this. How you feeling today, Moshe? Pretty good, not too bad. Because we really need this guy to die for the rest of us to cross the river. Real pressure about it, if you think about it, to be the last survivor of the old generation. People are standing around, rooting, you know, for the, for the moment to come so that they can get a move on. Just the way it happened. If you were there, you would have been rooting. If you were one of the unbelieving gripers, you would have resented uh, the dynamic in the room as they gathered around your bedside. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses reviews the law, and he says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Teach the things that he has told you and that I've shared with you to your children and speak about them all the time, and God will bless you in that land. And they cross through the mighty work of Joshua. The river stood apart from them and they passed on dry ground. And they began successfully a conquest, but they were incomplete in their obedience. And then comes the terrible time of the judges where there was no king in Israel. And every man, we're told, did what was right in his own eyes. And you read the anarchy, the violence, the murder, the sexual assaults, the rape, the dismemberment of human bodies, just absolute destruction. This is what happens when God's people have no godly leadership and no godly desire to please God in their hearts. Then, finally, after enduring wicked, half-hearted King Saul, a man after God's own heart rose, his name was David, but even he was a flawed leader. He murdered one of his own soldiers to cover up the fact that he had slept with the man's wife and gotten her pregnant. But God was faithful to David and raised one of the greatest men to ever live and certainly the wisest. His name was Solomon. And he provided, along with his father, he provided wisdom and songs to Israel. And we can read about it in Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the songs of David and the wisdom of Solomon. Then there was more wickedness and hardly a good king to be found until the kingdom split in two, the northern and the southern kingdom. And the prophets you read about in the Old Testament, those are speaking to all of those kings and to all of those people by turns chiding with them and pleading with them and screaming at them and begging them and warning them to come back. And the northern kingdom finally was judged by being scattered. Those are still today called the ten lost tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom, however, was not scattered. They were deported into Babylon. And Babylon was replaced by another empire, the empire of Persia. And amazingly, even though they were a toy between two superpowers, being passed back and forth as so much property, God kept his people alive in the land. And when we come now to the end of the Old Testament narrative, we find that the people of Israel are in the middle of rebuilding projects. 
The temple was rebuilt and worship was instituted. The walls around the city were rebuilt through Nehemiah. But there was more important work to do. When Nehemiah had finished building the wall, he didn't go home. He stayed and he worshiped. And when we come to Nehemiah chapter 8, if you'll open your Bibles there, it doesn't look like we're at the end of the Old Testament because all the songs and the wisdom of Proverbs and all the prophets follow. But in the narrative, if we understand the unfolding of Bible history, this comes very in, very close to the end of their story in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, finally, after all that wandering and all that wavering, the people are ready to hear from God. They're ready to hear from him. You ever wondered, like I do, why you bother talking? I said something so stupid and senseless to my wife the other day that I immediately thought, and I actually said it out loud, why do I speak? And she looked back at me like, sometimes I wonder, you know. Um, the Bible says in many words, uh, sin is not absent, and I've, my life is a living proof of that concept. It's true. Why do you speak? We're going to do a little talking back and forth, if that's okay. Is that okay? Okay, good. All right. It was mixed. Somebody said yes, somebody said no. I heard yo, so I'm not sure. <laughs> we speak, I'm talking beyond the mundane, yes, I'll supersize that order, and answering the, the vital question, paper or plastic, beyond those ordinary mundane things in life. We speak because we want relationship. You know a relationship is going sour when something called the silent treatment enters into it. You ever been given the silent treatment? When I was in high school, uh, I, had a, I had a best friend in high school in our church youth group, and we were dear friends for years. And I don't remember what the cause of irritation was, but on the way back from youth camp, on the bus, one of us, I don't even remember who, said something that offended the other, and we immediately stopped talking, and we didn't say a word to each other again for a month. And it was agonizing. We'd see each other and pretend like we hadn't seen each other. We'd run our eyes over one another really quickly in youth group. You're a non-person, I'm not speaking to you. We speak for relationship. That's why God speaks. He didn't have to. God is perfectly satisfied with himself. He's not an unhappy, incomplete person. He spoke creation into being and he fashioned us by hand because we matter so much and we bear his image and he breathed life into people and he continues to speak to people. He began speaking for the first time for relationships. Now, after all of that history, after creation and the exodus and the lawlessness in the land and the suffering under bad kings and wicked leadership and murder and genocide and war and horrible, horrible scenes like Jerusalem being destroyed and burned to the ground while pleaded children, children pleaded for their lives in the streets, after all of that, with their temple rebuilt, 
with walls around them to make them safe, the people hunger to hear from God. It has been some 140 years since they heard from him. You see, Amos, and this is a topic for another time, Amos says, God prophesies that there will come a time, he says, where I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for hearing the words of God. Not hearing the word of God is a judgment. Receiving the silent treatment from God, not knowing who God is, what God wants, how to approach him, how to love him, how to trust him, how to speak to him, is a judgment. And in a very real way, they've been living that judgment for some 140 years. And look at what they do. Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Who asked for the book? The people. That's pretty extraordinary in my experience. I've been preaching for over 20 years. I don't think I've ever had people spontaneously come to me and say, would you please preach us a sermon? Would you please read the Bible to us? You know when people have? Hospital rooms and gravesides. Living rooms where tragedy has come crashing in. In those times, it's not enough to hear from another person. You have to hear from God. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month, and he read it. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Are you reading with imagination? <laughs> from how long? From early morning to? You're hoping this isn't that particular worship service, right? I never, ever want to hear about 45-minute sermons again, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. This is a remarkable time. Why is this happening? This is happening because they're hungry. They want to hear what God has said. They've made provisions to be their best and to hear as well as they can. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And, all the, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mephathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on the right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Makijah, Hashum, Hashabadana, Zechariah, and Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood, sign of reverence in their culture. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the, all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Hebrew, and it means, so be it, that's right, right on. We like what we hear. We want that to be true. We want that to describe our lives. Lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What's happening here? In their cultural expression, they're reaching up to God saying, we're empty, please bless us. And they're bowing before him in emptiness and humble worship. What's happening here? This isn't the church. Understand that. 
But we have a great deal to learn from here. This pattern which began in the synagogue persisted into the first Christian churches where God's people come and they say in their heart attitude, today we have to hear from God. We're tired of hearing from ourselves. You matter a great deal because nobody talks to you more than you do. And you may, as I do, grow weary of your own counsel. We don't want to hear more advice from more people. We're tired of slogans. We're tired of empty, hollow answers. We're tired of cliches. We have to hear from God. They bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masasiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people understand the law while the people remained in their places. This is big. Look at Nehemiah 8, verse 8. It says, They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So not only were the people hungry, they had help too. Do you see that? That long list of nearly impronounceable names? Those are people like Ezra who understand what God has said. They apparently are moving through this vast crowd looking for the expression on people's faces that says, I get it. That's a wonderful thing for Bible teachers, for any teacher, but especially for those of us who have the great privilege of teaching the Bible. When I see on your face the expression that says you get it, it's very encouraging. That's what these men are fanning through the crowd. The book, the law, what God has said is being read to them, and these men are helping them understand. Look, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense for this purpose, so that the people understood the reading. Ezra is a remarkable man in the Old Testament. It's a shame that his story is hardly known. We see his life here in the book of Nehemiah, and there's a whole book in the Bible just before this called Ezra, which tells us of his life and ministry. Who was he? The Bible tells us that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's a good Bible teacher. He had set his heart to study it, but not just to study it, but to do it. And once, and from his life of integrity and obedience, he set his heart also to teach other people what God had said. That's what's happening here, and this is a magnificent moment for any of the people of God in any time in history. If you're hearing from God and understanding his word clearly, in that moment you are being blessed, you are being loved, God is being faithful to you. Who knows where I'll be? Life's fragile. Whenever I'm gone, insist on people, men and women, who can help you understand what God has said so that the sense to you is clear. Will you promise me that? Will you insist on that? If he's, if he's likable, if he has good oratory, if you like, like his wife and kids, those are all good things. But make sure wherever you are, when you go on vacation, choose where you're going to worship and do your best to go to a place where God's people meet so that his word is understood clearly. They were hungry to hear the word. They had help to hear the word. But really, this is 
an amazing part in the story. It also says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught to the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Discussion question. I'm going to give you a minute. Okay? If you're not into talking to anybody else in church, that's fine. Just sit there. Just put your social shields up. Okay? But if you can bear it, I want you to talk for a minute about this question. They've heard the word. They've understood the word. Men whose hearts are set on the word understand it themselves and are working through the crowd, working hard so that they understand the words of God. And when they heard it, they wept. Thousands of people, if you've ever been in an Eastern culture, they don't hold back as we do. It's not for show. It's just more honest sometimes. They wept. And if you and I could have stood there in that midday sun, we would have heard someone groan first. And a sniffle. And a lament. And crying is starting to break out. And you're going to see both the civic and the religious leadership is going, are going to have to calm them. Because when they understood what God had said, they wept. Turn to your neighbor. If you have a neighbor you can talk to. And if not, just keep your own counsel and think a little bit. Why were they weeping? Ready? Alrighty, come on back to me. What'd you discover? What'd you decide? Pardon? They were convicted. Explain that to a third year, to a third grade boy. They were sorry for their sin. Somebody else? They wept at the awesomeness of God. I think you're both right. I think it's all of that. They read the law of God. They read of life as God intended. They had memory of their history and the clear blessing that God had laid before them. Moses had said in Deuteronomy, as they crossed the river today, I've set before you death and life. Death and life are in front of you. God has spoken clearly. He has told you where you should go. You have life and death set before you. Decide what you're going to do. And now people who haven't heard the word of God in over a century, who remember that their history for the most part is tragic, 
who have to look carefully through their history to find the high points of David, and even he is a flawed, fatal man. The wisdom of Solomon, their great king, ended in a man who kept a thousand women. And they wept. When you have a living encounter with what God has said and you see the difference between the life of God and what He has desired for you and the life you've actually lived, it's normal, it's natural, it's healthy to grieve. Sometimes we don't go to the Bible because we're afraid of what we'll read there. Shame overcomes us. When you least want to come to the Bible is when you most need to hear from Him. Why does God speak? Same reason you speak. He's leaning in, speaking to you. And it's a real relationship. He's not a machine. He's not a concept. He's not an abstract principle devised by philosophers to make people feel better when life got too big for them. He's a living, actual person. And he's leaning in and speaking. And finally, all the people understand from the written word of God, which he had given to them centuries earlier, this is who God is and this is how we should respond to him. And we haven't. And it broke their heart and they wept. Now we're stepping back into the dust of the Old Testament, but that principle, that pulsing idea of relationship is still alive. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. This is most definitely written to us. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That sound good to you? Good like a surgeon's scalpel is good when there's cancer. People hear that they have cancer and they say, "When, when can I get it taken care of? Well, I'm going on vacation. Wait a second. You just told me I have a malignant mutant organism growing inside me that is threatening to kill me and we can't deal with this now. Yes, the Word of God is like the living relationship with any person filled with all kinds of thoughts and ideas and moods. Sometimes it's happiness and praise and celebration and thanksgiving. All too often in my life, the Word of God gets in the middle of my life and shows me the error of my ways. And it cuts me open, not to slay me, but to heal me. Not to harm me, but yes, it does hurt. And there's a difference between hurt and harm. This is why God has spoken in his word. And you stand in the middle of a time in God's history where you have unparalleled opportunity to hear from him. Notice what the people said. They said to Ezra, bring the book, bring the scrolls, roll it out in front of us. You know I carry the Word of God around in my pocket every day. It's called a smartphone. The Word of God is literally in the palm of my hand any time I want it to be. I have extraordinary access to this banquet of life that is God speaking to me and to you. Let's not choose starvation. The worst kind of famine is the famine that you choose for yourself. Now in God's timing, in God's providence, as he prepares his people, 
and revives them, they've understood what God has said and it has caused them to weep. Here's how Nehemiah responds. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, that means eat the best portions, and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved. What's it say there? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Wow, what an amazing thought. What's happening there? Even when God, God's word hurts us, it is always for our good. It's all aimed toward joy. God's heart is set on joy. He has spoken to you to draw you closer. And if you keep reading in Nehemiah, you're going to see that they celebrate a festival that God had commanded. They're going together for corporate prayer and they're going to confess their sins and say, God, we have fallen so short of your heart and your will for us. And they're going to make the covenant again. They're going to speak person to person and say, God, with your help, as, we, as best we can, we promise to be faithful to you now. It's relationship. God's heart is set on your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah 8 verse 12 says, All the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Anytime you're reading, anytime someone is teaching, anytime in your small groups, which are only designed to help you understand and apply the Word of God better, whenever you have the light of God's Word dawn on you, in that moment, even if it hurts because you see the distance that you've put between God and yourself, be happy that's God's voice calling you back. You see, this long journey through the Old Testament is one long love story. It's of a perfect loving God who is spurned. Whose will, whose heart, whose love, whose faithfulness, whose goodness was discarded. Isaiah explained it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have each gone our own way. There, is, there are as many people to be lost as there are people in the world. What they all have in common is they've chosen their own path instead of God's. What does God do? God keeps speaking. The heartbreak of Hosea, who wants his unfaithful wife to come back. The anger of the prophets, saying, you've spurned my holiness. You've ruined my reputation. You've trampled on my name. The joy of the Psalms. The wisdom of Proverbs saying that in God's way there is life and safety and blessing and wealth. Every step we've taken for these 21 weeks have this in common. A God who loves, a God who redeems, a God who seeks. There will again be a time of silence in the people of God. In spite of this great revival, there will come a time when again a generation turns their back on him. And for 400 long years in the blank pages between your Old and New Testament and your Bible, God will not speak at all. 
that next time he speaks, Hebrews explains it this way. Having spoken to the ancestors in many times, in many ways, through the prophets, God in these last days has spoken to us through his son. And the written word will not be enough. The living word, God incarnate, Jesus Christ will come. That's how much he loves you. So what do you do with all this? You remember that phrase from Nehemiah, from Ezra, from the people seeking to comfort people whose hearts were broken because they had strayed from God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. God has set his heart, God has set his mind, his purpose is for joy. What will bring God joy? Having you back. Isaiah prophesied along with the crucifixion of Jesus that Jesus would see the fruit of the anguish of his soul. He would see what it was worth someday. That's why when someone in the ministry of this church or any gospel preaching church anywhere in the world, when someone moves from life to death, God himself rejoices. It's not just that the angels rejoice. There is joy in the presence of, of God. God, him, there is presence in the, in, in, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. God himself is rejoicing. He is seeing that all this speaking over all this time has brought one more faithless person back to himself. That's why this church exists. To see people come to new life in Christ and to see you who already have it, perhaps grow to full maturity in Jesus. All this speaking is for your joy. So what do you do with all this? You relish the fact that you have God's written word in front of you. You insist to those who teach it and you insist to yourself and your half-heartedness in reading it and understanding it. I have to hear from God. You use prayer to say to God, God, I don't understand what it means, or what's worse, too many times for me, God, I don't particularly feel like hearing from you. I don't want to do what you say. I'm afraid if I understand what you say, I'll be motivated to do it. I, today, I feel like doing what I want to do. That's sin and self-will. But it's a living relationship, and the best thing I can tell you is that God is faithful to keep pursuing you, so keep hearing from him. Keep hearing from him because his heart is set on your joy. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Cross Point, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near the Huntington Beach community.